Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. M. A. I. N. M. E. N. U. Main Menu. Main Menu. Main Menu. Greetings, everyone. This is Main Menu for the 15th of April, 2016. I am your co-host, Jason Castingway. Do you feel something? Are you ready to feel something? This show is all about feeling, first with your fingers and then with your feet. We start out talking with Larry Scootcon from the American Printing House for the Blind, who coined the phrase, 2016 is the year of Braille. You'll hear about the Orbit Braille Reader and the Refresher Braille Refresh as well as other ins and outs of what's going on at the American Printing House for the Blind regarding Braille. We had such a great talk with Larry that we decided to split it into parts, this first part being the one on Braille. Stay tuned for more in future shows. Next, we talk with guest Chris Tabb, who will tell you all about Lachel Haptic Footwear. Pretty neat stuff. Something to which I wouldn't have given much thought until I heard Chris talk about advantages of getting cues through your feet. Get your hands and feet ready. It's a great show. In the following conversation with Larry, there is a bit of noise a little after five minutes in. It only lasts a few seconds, and we apologize for the inconvenience. Hi, everyone. This is Janine Stanley for Main Menu, and I am joined today by Jason Castingay. Hi, Jason. Hello there. And our guest is rather famous in the blind community, and this year I think he's going to be more famous than ever because we have heard 2016 referred to as the year of Braille. Well, you know who coined that expression? Our guest. He was the first one to say it, followed by Stevie Wonder at the Grammy. So he's probably in good company, or at least Stevie's in good company. I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Larry Scootcon. Hi, Larry. Hey there. I wish I could say Stevie heard it from me, but I don't know where he got it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he this did. Really is, this really is the year for Braille, though. You know, um, UEB being adopted in the United States is a big, big deal. And... Um, now, of course, with some of the other things we're going to talk about tonight, it's a, it's an amazing year for Braille. One of the biggest. Absolutely. And I think I heard about more Braille tech coming out of CSUN this year than I've ever heard about before. And one of the big exciting things that came out of CSUN is the Orbit Reader. Tell us a little bit about this whole project and the end product. Well, the... Um, Orbit Reader is the product of a pretty forward-thinking gentleman named of Kevin Carey from the Royal National Institute for the Blind, and uh, a group that he put together consisting of uh, 10 blindness organizations around um, the world that um, agreed to do some funding for a project to dramatically reduce the cost of refreshable Braille by introducing a new technology. And the Transforming Braille Group, three of the members are in the United States, uh, APH, Perkins, and NFB, all agreed to fund this project. And we started out by looking at 63 different technologies that you know we could find that were all working with refreshable Braille. And 
evaluated them to see how possible it was that they were going to come to market, how far they were advanced in their development, and uh, how much they would cost. And we ended up settling on a technology that Orbit Research had proposed that really consisted kind of a unique actuator and some commonly available parts. And the Transforming Braille group agreed to fund this development of this project for $1.25 million. And in return, uh, the members would get a uh, refreshable Braille display that was a reader for around $300. So the whole point of the project was to increase Braille literacy by making it available for more people. So this would include uh, developing countries where uh, blind students were already using cell phones and getting speech access. Uh, uh, you know, they skipped the whole copper wire telephone era and went straight into the telephone, <laughs> into cell phones. And uh, also in developed countries like the United States and Canada, where, you know, it, it, it prices down this low, it's feasible for a parent or a grandparent to buy a young blind child a reader, you know, even way before they start school to um, either work with their iPad that the family's using or just stand alone to read uh, books in. It's a very simple operation. It uses an SD card. You store the uh, pre-translated files on it. And uh, during our field testing, we uh, did test it with some very young readers, and I know one of the um, teachers was uh, really bragging about how she had left the room and the child had really been pretty unmotivated before and went through and read a whole book on this thing just in a short amount of time. Uh, but at CSUN, we unveiled the result of this thing. And uh, like I said, it ended up costing the members $320. Now, that's not going to be the end price. This thing will be available this fall. And, uh, you know, that that's the wholesale price that we'll be um, getting just the raw unit for. So we have to put in to take into account packaging, customer support, distribution. So short of it is, we don't know what the end price is going to be yet. We're thinking probably around $500. Um, but still, that is so significantly much less than most displays out there. In fact, all the displays out there, that's... Uh, well, yeah, and especially given the fact that it's standalone also. Uh, not only a reader, but you can also take short notes with it, about 15 pages worth of notes. Oh, wow. Uh, file manager runs locally on it, so you can either use it that way or connect it to uh, Bluetooth or a USB host device like an iPhone or a computer or an Android phone or whatever. And in my mind, Great. that would be an amazing way to learn Braille. And, and Jason, you had something? Oh, I was just saying, this sounds like it will drastically increase the number of people who can get in on a device like this. Yep, that's the whole idea is to increase literacy. And, you know, it's like I said, it's so part of the field testing was, you know, we loaded a bunch of preschool and early childhood books onto it. And 
It's nice. The operation is so simple. Um, you know, you just show a student the advance button and they can move through the book. It's very simple to get back to the list of all the files on it and uh, very easy to use. You shut it off, you turn it back on, it picks up right where you left off. Oh, that's great. I, I like that feature. I don't know how many times I've been in a text and, and uh, lost my place in a, in a large text file. And it's a little bit easier to get to in Braille. However, um, now we talked a little bit about this being kind of a new mechanism using old parts, basically. But explain to everyone about how is Braille currently being produced on most of the accessible devices that are out there? Well, refreshable Braille displays use a technology, uh, piezoelectric, and it's an element with a uh, property that expands, and through some rods, it pushes the dots up. The problem is that this technology has been around for 30 years, and partially due to you know, the relatively low numbers of uh, people that are using it, the price has not really come down, and the technology hasn't changed either. So it hadn't followed what's known as Moore's Law, where most electronics double in speed and half in price in, in you know, 18 to 24 months. Well, that, that hadn't happened with refreshable Braille technologies. So the Transforming Braille Group is really hoping this will kickstart that. In fact, you know, one of our biggest hopes is that next year somebody will come out with one for $200. (laughs) (laughs) Using this technology, I would assume that that you folks are looking at, which I'm sure we'll learn more about, you know, as it comes out and as Orbit Research makes that information available to everyone. So tell us about the product itself. What does it actually feel like? What are we going to be looking at, so to speak, as we get this product in our hands? Well, it's about uh, six inches wide and four inches from front to back and about an inch tall. And the Braille display is closest to you, and there's panning buttons on the left and right of it. And then right above that is the space bar, and then to the left of that is dot seven, the right is dot eight. And then immediately going toward the back is the uh, five-way cursor pad with select in the middle, and then the six other Braille input keys are uh, closest to the back. Then on the back edge of it, away from you, is a recessed area that has the power button and an SD card slot and a micro USB connector. And that's how you charge it up. Um, It has a user-replaceable battery. Oh, Um, nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the you know we we wrote the specifications for for the battery to last for a full day's use, but in the testing that we've done so far, it seems to do uh, quite a bit better than that. We don't have official results yet for how long it should last, but I know I can say anecdotally that, that I have used it for over a week at a time. Now that's not eight hours a day or anything, but uh, still, that's pretty good, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, another uh, nice thing about it is it's got little uh, rings in the case, so you can strap, you can put a strap on it. It it does not come with the case. Well, I I should say um, APH isn't planning on putting a case on it as far as I know. So I know like in the United States, APH has already said they'll distribute it. Uh, CNIB is going to distribute in Canada and RNIB in uh, the U.K., 
And uh, as far as I know, none of those people have uh, decided to uh, uh, include a case. Now, Orbit has said that they're going to make one available. They hadn't listed out a price or anything. And I, I expect executive products will probably I was uh, just offer them. thinking a- our good friends at executive <laughs> products will have a very lovely case for it, I'm sure. They, they make some nice ones, don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So what all would come with the unit? Well, and again, that depends on where you get it. I know at APH, we'll be putting a USB cable, probably an AC adapter, an SD card, and some content on the SD card. We're we're still deciding what that's going to be. And a quick start guide in both Braille and large print. And that'll be um, in a box, and that, that's pretty much what will come with it. Oh, great. And how big of an SD card can it take? Up to 32 gigs. Okay. Great. And for what it does, I don't think you you probably don't need a whole lot more than that. That's a lot of uh, room for there, documents. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I think it would take the best reader years to read 32 gigs Braille. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe so. So this is 20 cells. Now, everybody needs to understand there is no speech with this particular device, right? Nope, there is no speech. There's... Um, there's no vibrator in it. It's a basic Braille device. Um, it does have, they are eight dot cells. So if, if you're reading normal uh, UEB or whatever, you'll just be using six dot like you would, you, you we're all normally used to. But if you're uh, inputting data, if you want to write in computer Braille, you can use uh, dot seven and eight for your input. And likewise, when you're connected to a computer, oh, great. most of the time though, yeah, and, and there's and there's no translator on the device, so whatever you write in Braille, you don't have to uh, necessarily use a specific code, yet you can use any code. In fact, I know when I was in college, I, I made up my own shorthand uh, mm-hmm. for, for a couple of classes, <laughs> and uh, you can do that. Now, the, <laughs> the problem with that is <laughs> you have to have a, an audience that can read it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to uh, try to print that out in Word. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and speaking of that, um, I assume one could use this also as a Braille display for one's computer, correct? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. That makes it incredibly attractive for me um, because I find that I don't need everything that the Braille note taker has on it, although I love mine, but I I don't need all that stuff at this point. What I would like to have is a way to to read my notes, you know, for presentations and uh, be able to read computer screens and spreadsheets and things like that that are on my computer screen. So looking forward to that. And Maybe the other use case for this is um, I have a coworker, for example, who would love to improve her Braille skills. And I said, well, you know, the way I did it was getting a refreshable Braille device. That really helped me improve my Braille skills. But unfortunately, the state said, no, those are too expensive and too complicated, and we're not going to get you that. And, you know, we were... We were stunned, for one thing, but something like this really makes, you know, that argument go away. Well, and, you know, it's, the price is low enough where a lot more people can just afford to buy it outright. Sure. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. We, we really expect uh, parents or grandparents will, will buy one of these and 
not worry so much about dropping a $5,000 device. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you all have another Braille device that APH uh, is responsible for that is getting a makeover, and that is the Refresher Braille. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, indeed. The Refresher Braille is a nice little Braille display especially for use with like an iPhone, the the sizes are are so um, nice together. And we've done a hardware refresh on the Refresh Braille 18, and what we've done to it is put a new Bluetooth chip in it so it does the simple pairing now. You don't have to type in a code anymore. Now, if you, you want the secure pairing, you can still go into the menu and select that, but the default is simple pairing. We changed the USB port from a mini to a micro, and it makes it, it actually makes it a lot easier to get it into that little uh, protected area there. That was probably the only downside I heard to that device was actually plugging in the USB connector. You know, and I've, I've heard that throughout the life of that device, but that protector has done its job. Uh, I know Baum has told me that. About 10% of their displays come back in with a broken USB port from people dropping them or setting something on them. And uh, the record for this is a zero have come back from problems with the (laughs) USB. And and, you know, the magnetic connector for the iMac, you know, saved a lot of us from uh, killing our our computers. (laughs) It sure is. But yeah, that micro is a lot easier to plug in there. And then we also change the joystick to a button so you can press down on it now and don't have to worry about uh, pushing back and the thing maybe sliding around or whatever. And then also added a little contour to the space bar so that it's easier to press with your while your hand's laying on the, uh, resting on the table and hitting it with the side of your thumb. So it's, um, it was a really nice device, and it's even a little nicer now. Same price, and it's already available uh, at APH. Great. Now, do you have any trade-in program for people who have the older model and maybe want to upgrade? Or We don't. I think the best recommendation there, if you want the new one, is to sell the old one. Uh, I know there's people on the uh, various lists. The Refresher Braille has its own list, in fact, where... Uh, in fact, there's always people looking for one, a used one, so I'd, I'd recommend going that way. Good. And what is the cost of the new one? Um, boy, you got me there. I'm going to say sixteen ninety-five. Okay. I, I could be wrong about that. Uh, it's right in that bad. area. No, it's not a bad price at all. And that's still using the older piezo. Uh, I forget exactly what you called it. The older technology. It, it is. Uh huh. Okay. Which is is fine technology. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're going to keep uh, the refresh Braille eighteen too. We we uh, expect that there'll be a market for both kinds of devices. Oh, good. Now, okay. Um, is there a difference between the Braille as you feel it on the Orbit Reader and the piezoelectric devices? You know, I'm glad you asked that, Janine. Uh, the Braille, <laughs> that is the most interesting feature of the Orbit Reader. It is about the best Braille I've ever seen. It reminds you of reading the Braille like on a hotel room door, like signage Braille. Oh my it's very solid. Yeah, so, and you can't press the dots down. Uh-huh. So it's, oh. uh, 
very can you easy feel, to read. Can you feel the dots transition from when it scrolls? Um, yeah, you can. You can, and you can hear them too. You can hear it a lot better than you can the piezoelectric. Most of the piezoelectric ones um, rise all at once. It's just a, mm-hmm. and they're all up. And this one, you can hear it go from left to right. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> See, I like that. I call me crazy, but I actually like that. So <laughs> I kind of do too. I, I didn't at first, but uh, it's a very reassuring sound. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, it's a. It reminds you of fine watch. It's a. It's a nice sound. It's. A <laughs> Wow. Ah. Interesting. So I cannot wait to get my hands on this thing just to say mm. that I felt this new kind of Braille and this technology. I'm just dying to find out what it is, actually. <laughs> so, well, well, we're going to bring these uh, devices to the uh, summer conventions. Oh, great. So, uh, I was just going to ask that if people great. were going to be seeing them there. And do you know if you'll be doing pre-orders there or is that a little too um, Well. <laughs> Yeah, it's we're APH doesn't usually do pre-orders. We're going to try to order enough of them to uh, meet our expected demands, um, and I, I think there'll be plenty on hand. Oh goodness, I I would think this is going to sell out like crazy. We've seen some other companies that had some hot new things at CSUN, and they're back ordered already. So, <laughs> so oh, wow. I'm sure this will probably follow that pattern because people have been mm-hmm. waiting for this one for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. you said that the Braille is not translated, or rather that the text files need to be translated Will APH be providing a resource? Say, I'm someone new who's coming in. I know nothing about this sort of thing. Is there sort of a resource page to show you what what translators are available? That kind of thing. No, are you asking this just to? Do you already know the answer to this, Jason? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> you don't. This is this is great. So, to uh, to go with this device, we wrote a little shortcut for Windows. So if you're in File Explorer and you right-click, there's a Send To. So then you click on Send To, and uh, we've added Braille to that Send To menu. And the way we did it was took uh, two existing awesome packages. One of them is LibLui, which is an open-source Braille translator. And, in fact... um, APH had a very, very significant role in upgrading LibLui to uh, full UEB compliance, and that should be released uh, probably about the time this podcast is coming out. And then, anyway, we took LibLui and uh, Pandoc, which is a file conversion library, and just wrapped them together in this shortcut. So you just install this thing, and it's actually available right now at tech.aph.org slash LT for Lutran. And the name of it is just Send to Braille Shortcut. So you run setup, and then all of a sudden now you can point to a file, uh, right-click or hit your applications key, uh, go to Send to in Braille, and it creates a UEB translation of the file you're pointing to and adds a .brl to the uh, end of the name of it. Oh, wow. That's great. And then you can send that over to your um, device. Now, what we haven't done yet, and we intend to before this is released, is a send back from Braille, too. So I if was you wondering about writes, that. <laughs> you write it's got to be a two-way yeah. street. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Are there any plans? I'm just asking because I'm a Mac user to any Mac plans for a little contextual menu item. Yes, indeed. We have been trying to enlist some people to help us out. You know, this is all open source kind of thing and mm-hmm. um, hoping we'll find somebody from the Mac community to jump in there and do that. If not, uh, we'll probably fill in the uh, the gap there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you just be in Finder and, uh, yeah. you know, it's been a year or two since I've used a Mac. I think you do Shift uh, VOM to bring up the context. There menu. You go. That's right. correct. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Pulled yeah. that one out, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. Put a braille command in there. Oh, wow, yeah. that would be, be so. Fabulous. And right now, until the liblui that uh, supports UEB properly is released, we've included the liblui that you know our branch of it that we've been working on. That uh, we're trying to get it all merged back into the open source part of liblui so that it can go out with the next distribution. But um, we're not we're not letting that stop us from going ahead and distributing this because we were using it for our field testers as well. And anyone's welcome to uh, download that and check it out, give us feedback. Great. Where can people find out info about LibLui and all of the things that go on with that particular project? LibLui is at LibLui.org L-I-B-L-O-U-I-S.org Pandoc is at Pandoc.org, I believe. And this one, again, is at tech.aph.org slash LT. And I I will warn everybody, tech.aph.org is going to be a really popular domain throughout this broadcast. So, great. So, let's go from the high-tech to the low-tech at APH. Um, Let's talk other Braille kinds of things. How has this year Braille kind of expanded itself, or has it? Can we look at any new products at APH having to do with Braille, slates, styluses, things like that? Or anything that's got Braille on it that might be new? Absolutely. So, I don't know how low-tech this is. I'll I'll get to the low-tech in a minute, but... uh, you know, this being the year of Braille, we've also introduced, actually last year even, a, a Nemeth Braille tutorial that's online and is accessible. So it looks good for sighted people that can use the uh, six-key input on their um, regular keyboard with any modern browser, and it also works with the screen readers and the refreshable Braille displays. But what's even more exciting than that, and also not so low-tech, is this whole 3D printing craze that's going on. Uh, We have already started, in fact, uploading to our tactile graphics library some 3D images that you can print out on a 3D printer. And uh, one of the things that we're looking at doing is also offering... Uh, tools that you can either print out on your 3D printer or send it to one of these companies that will print it out for you. And these would be the kind of tools, like my favorite example is <laughs> there's probably not a few dozen people on earth that would use this, but it's an eight-dot Braille slate. Whoa. So if you were the kind of person that wanted one, you know, nobody has to spend uh, all kinds of money making molds or anything for such a few people, but... Uh, If you wanted one of these, you would just download it and uh, print it out or, like I say, send it to a company that would print it for you. So I think we're going to see over the course of the next year or two some 
really interesting and specialized tools available for 3D printing. Uh, I mean, even maybe some nice styluses or styli, um, different kinds of slates. Uh, you've got a couple other things in the works I can't really talk about yet, Ooh. but um, <laughs> suffice it to say that it's going to be an interesting year for 3D printing and Braille as well. And that is where we have decided to end our conversation with Larry for now, but there will be more in future episodes. Now let's move down to the feet. Hi everyone, this is Janine Stanley, and today on Main Menu we're going to be exploring a different kind of technology. Yes, this does have something to do with computers, but right now we are on our feet. And that's where this technology is literally going to be. Now, a lot of us over the years have kind of, oh, let's say laughed a little at the idea of vibrating shoes for the blind. But I have a guest today who actually has a pair of vibrating shoes for the blind. We would like to welcome to Main Menu, Mr. Christopher Tabb. And Chris, hello there. Hello, how are you? Very good. And we also have Jason Castingay with us. Hello, Jason. Hello there. And we are going to talk today about the Lachel Haptic Footwear. And this was a very interesting review that Chris did of this device. And Chris, first of all, let's find out who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, sure, Janine. And thank you, by the way, for having me on today. Um, I am an orientation mobility specialist and have been so for uh, 16 and a half, 17 years, um, and I presently live in Texas. My uh, day job is with the uh, Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I'm the statewide orientation mobility specialist, um, and I just happen to, as a hobby, uh, really enjoy all things technology and all things orientation and mobility. Excellent. That sounds really familiar, which is why anytime a post from Chris comes up on the various O&M lists that I'm on, I'd be sure to read it because there's always something really interesting there. So how did you learn about this particular product and what's the story of you coming to actually acquire a pair of these? For several years, I've been uh, enjoying all the benefits of social media like Twitter and Facebook and just the new amazing ways that we have to keep up to up to date with things that are happening all over the world. And so uh, there are often new posts that come up. Uh, sometimes they are just concepts of uh, things that someone has invented or plans to invent for those uh, who are non-visual travelers, and they just go into a concept mode and nothing ever happens. And so often you're looking at a post that's just a, a concept without the product behind it. This was unique in that there was actually someone who was going to follow through with it. And I believe it was last year, about, uh, about the middle of the year, when uh, Lady Shul finally decided that they were going to release this product, no longer just advertising and talking about it, but actually making it available for sale. So at that time, um, I had been following them and kind of watching their posts, and I decided I was going to go ahead and jump in and just try it. Uh, I find that in the field of orientation mobility, many of the people I work with, both uh, school-age students and adults, there isn't a place where they can go for a test drive. So someone who's purchasing a a car, a bicycle or something can go to a store and try it before they buy it. Uh, So many of the individuals I work with do not have that opportunity unless 
I'm able to bring it to them, to show them. So quite often uh, I will purchase things just for the intent of having a demonstration or a sample. And so that's how I got on board with this product. Can you tell us a little bit about the product before we go into the actual haptics of it? The product itself, you can purchase it in two ways. I'll try to simplify a little bit. You can either purchase a product as shoes, which are designed as a very simple kind of a shoe, although they come in different, different colors, different varieties. There is a small pocket on the outside near the ankle of the shoe where a pod or a small rectangular electronic unit would slip into. That's about uh, the, we'll say, the most expensive version of Lachel. The other thing you can purchase are just the insoles or kind of that part in your shoe you can take out. Sometimes you can buy those separately at a sporting goods store or even just a local pharmacy for people who have orthotic needs, things like that. And in the bottom of the insole, there is a pocket where the technology would slide into. That's a little bit less expensive, and that's the option that I went for. So what this product basically does is it communicates through your feet information from your smartphone. And if if you want, Janine, we can get into the haptics now and talk a little bit more about how those two technologies work together. Absolutely. That would be fascinating. I think we were all really introduced to the concept of haptics with the Apple Watch and its haptic features. And some of those features are available, you know, um, in terms of GPS and working with Apple Maps. However, (laughs) this is something a little bit different, right, in terms of your feet. So let's talk about the haptics. What am I going to feel through my feet? Well, um, let's talk about (laughs) haptics a little bit in general first, in case some people are not familiar with that. Um, It's In a way, it's kind of tactile, uh, but not tactile like we would use our fingertips on. Um, We have all sorts of areas in our body that we can receive information. Uh, For those that have some neuropathy uh, due to conditions like diabetes, um, there are certain places that are going to be less sensitive, like the fingertips, for instance, because of that neuropathy and that that numbness that is associated with that. The ability to send a signal to one part of the body and have it be interpreted for something else is uh, what some people call sensory substitution. And so there are developers all over the world working on different ways to provide us with information visually, auditorily, tactilely with the hands. We get to points where we can only absorb so much information, but there are other places on our body, like our tongue, for instance, if anyone has heard of the brain port, which basically is sending pins of information under your tongue to tell you what might be in front of your head if you're wearing glasses or a special camera. Um, it's, again, sensory substitution, taking it from one area, putting it, obviously the tongue is not meant, meant traditionally to see anything but maybe the, the texture of a raisin, um, but it does give us a place for our brain to interpret that. So haptics is providing us sensory information that our brain translates into something else. And so with the Apple Watch, with its taptic engine, it can tap in a unique pattern to give us a right turn or a left turn to signal us that we have a new text or a phone call coming in. Uh, there's also an app that um, I believe it's called Time Buzz that will, uh, just like a TISO watch used to do for the uh, silent TISO watch, will vibrate a particular pattern to tell you what time it is. Oh, and I love the, Time Buzz. <laughs> well, there you go. So there's all sorts of haptics that are coming into our world that didn't exist before. It's an area of I would say explosive growth, but it's, it's, still very, it's still very new. 
on your feet at the at the uh, let's say the the soft part of your foot where your arch is, it's a very sensitive area and it can receive a lot of information and it can interpret the information by sending it to the brain, which is actually the place where it gets interpreted. I think that some of us who have had difficulty with the haptics on the Apple Watch, you know, say, I don't understand what the vibe, give yourself time. It does take time for that connection to be made, I think. How thick is this particular mechanism that makes the vibration? The mechanism that makes the vibration is, let's just say it's about... uh, quarter, a little bit bigger than a quarter of an inch thick. I, I know there are oh, precise wow. measurements. And while we're talking, I'll try to bring that up. Much of the measurements are going to be in the metric system because this was made outside of right. the United States. I think <laughs> we're the only ones still using the imperial system. It's basically about an inch and a half wide, a quarter inch, uh, maybe a half inch tall. Um, and it fits very nicely underneath your foot so that with the insole option, you're not really feeling it any differently than you would placing your foot into a traditional shoe. We usually have some type of arch support that would go into the insole, and that's just occupying the space of the arch support. From the top of the insole, you aren't even able to uh, detect it. It's underneath that the uh, module is actually placed. They call it a pod. And so the pod is actually inserted under the insole, then you would put the insole into the shoe. The only time you would take it out then is to recharge it. Oh, wow. And okay. let's talk about recharging. How, how often do these things, what, what kind of life am I going to get out of them? At the moment, um, the uh, information available from the manufacturer says that it should last about 15 days under certain conditions. But like the iPhone or a Mac, uh, and I apologize, I know more about the Macs than I do about the PCs, but they, they give you a, a battery life, and that battery life might be based on using it, the technology in a certain way. Um, and so if you were using it all the time, that battery would certainly extinguish itself or, or re- lose its capacity for power a lot faster. So depending on how much you're using it within a day, let's just say that uh, you would certainly, I believe, get you through the day I have not done a full battery test on it. Part of what's changing is the app itself that is working with the module as well as firmware updates are still coming out. So the app itself, at least for the iOS system, is still in beta. Ah, and so there is the last, actually an app. There's sort of a connecting there, there, thing here. There are, there are two apps. There's one that's available for the iOS system, although you have to have been included in their beta um, which I, I believe is going out to anyone who's purchased the product, as well as the Google Play Store has the Android version. You do not need to be uh, a registered beta tester or owner of a Latrial product to be able to download that if you have an Android device, just to be able to preview it, either through their website, the guide uh, that comes out from the website. If you go onto their website, which I believe is latrial.com, you can download their user guide, which has information there. You can also do a little bit of preview of the what might be available by going to the Google Play Store and, and just reading the information about the app itself, uh, as well as on some uh, different blog posts who have done reviews, you can get the information about the app. So the app, as well as the firmware, are being updated as the product's released. People are using it in different environments. And so the battery life, I believe, is going to continue to enhance based on how the uh, module or the pod communicates with the phone itself through the Bluetooth. 
let's go ahead and put the shoes on. And what will happen when we go out for a walk? What kinds of things can we do? Can you do right now with the app and the, the pods? And I'm, if I can, I'm going to I'm going to defer that question for just a moment. <laughs> yes. uh, because one of the things I wanted to share, you were talking about how people use their Apple Watch and sometimes it could be very confusing. What is it telling me? There isn't a way to kind of uh, invoke some of those features to try them out. Mm-hmm. But with within the app for Lachel and and the corresponding either the shoes or the insoles, there is a way to give yourself a tutorial. What does it mean when it vibrates in one pattern? What does it mean when it vibrates in another pattern? So that you can begin to understand the language of the device. Uh, I would say the language of Lachel, but that's probably too much of an umbrella. (laughs) Just as an example, when when we are going somewhere, sometimes uh, Google Maps, for instance, might say, make a right-hand turn. Other times it might say, make a slight right. Well, one's a curving right and one's a 90-degree right turn. Their patterns will be different a vibration to indicate what those are. Oh, wow. A, U, a U-turn will have an, an, another entirely different vibration pattern. And so by using that tutorial feature, you can use it while you're out on a route. You can use it while you're planning. Um, you can use it just as experimentation. There are different ways to go about doing that. If you forget, in other words, if you haven't used the product for a significant period of time, uh, that's something you can go back into at any point and reteach yourself what those particular things mean. I haven't kept up with UEB, so uh, I imagine I will be using a UEB cheat sheet, and that app <laughs> tutorial is just like a Braille cheat sheet to remind you, well, okay, what contraction is it today? That is fascinating, and that is far beyond, you know, I think what we've heard from any of the other proposed products that do this. The app then, I assume, would have sort of a, a GPS feature that you could invoke. How does that work? Have you actually taken this out on a walk and... I, I have. If you've used Google Maps or Apple Maps, it's a very similar feature where you, you have uh, the ability to enter where your destination is that you'd like to go to if you know it already. So it might be that you're putting in the address of your home and walking back to your home. It might be that you know that there's a, um, a local coffee house that you're going to travel to and you could put in the name or the address. And just like doing a, a search on any map application, it would bring up options or the specific item if it were unique enough that it could identify it. And then you could travel to that place by choosing to navigate there. There are also the options, just like for Apple Maps and Google Maps, to go either by pedestrian mode, by vehicle mode, or by bicycle mode. So it may be that you're using, just like uh, some folks use a map program or Blind Square to give them information if they're riding in a taxi or an Uber vehicle, so that they can provide directions to the driver or make sure that the driver isn't giving them an unexpected tour of the city. That will still be working within the app and will be providing that information to your feet, basically, so that you can relay that on to the driver. Oh, wow. You know, I have been in a cab and we have the windows down because it's a nice day. Can't hear my phone. And, mm-hmm. you know, putting in the earphone. Now I've got my feet telling me. I've got my left wrist telling me. So that's, um, that's right. very reassuring. Does it have a feature? Because some of us are not route travelers. Some of us just sort of take off and we're walking along and we'd like to know when we're coming up to a cross street. Does it have that feature yet? I believe that it will not give you that information, but it isn't to say that this is something that you can, you, you can use this as a complement to another app. 
So it isn't necessarily a mapping app as much as it is a navigational app, we'll say. Although I did um, uh, put a, when I was uh, sharing a post on Twitter or Facebook, I, I mentioned that it would be great if the developers of Latro would get to together with the developers of BlindSquare yes. to be able to uh, share that information between the two. The uh, ability to use BlindSquare simultaneously would provide you with the verbal information where the auditory, excuse me, the haptic information would be provided to your feet. And so you could have, in theory, the phone providing the auditory through voiceover. Uh, you could also have the haptic through your feet, and you could have the haptic through the watch simultaneously. And at that point, you just want to make sure that you have an extra battery. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I can see myself carrying the battery pack. And for those of us, I know, Jason, you are a cane user. I am a guide dog user. We've only got one hand. And so this really is intriguing to me, you know, when traveling. So what are we talking about in terms of durability? Because we all know that our feet get wet through various mechanisms. How durable are the pods so far in your testing? Well, so far they seem very durable. They are a, basically a very small metal box. I don't find matchbooks very regularly in the world anymore, but for those of you that remember what a matchbox was like, um, it's about the size of a matchbox, maybe a little bit longer than a traditional matchbox, but that's about how big it is. And if you imagine that that were made of metal, it's pretty durable. There is one side that has a tactile component with bumps, basically. It's a little bit like just a random pattern of braille dots. That is about the only thing other than their logo that you're going to notice on the pod itself. And that particular tactile surface is to help you to, for one thing, orient the top to the bottom, because when they're inserted into the insole, you want to have it inserted so that um, it's a top-up design, we'll say, as well as there is a way to restart or repair the pods themselves uh, to kind of, oh, we'll say, like do a hard reset, a Control-Alt-Delete with a tapping or a different finger pattern on the top of that textured surface. Oh, wow. But for the most part, it's just like a metal matchbox. I've dropped them. They haven't come apart. They slide in and out of their charger. Uh, I haven't had any challenges with seams coming open, things like that. As far as their ability to be waterproof, water resistant, I haven't had an opportunity to be walking in the rain with them yet, other than some, other than some very light rain on my first outing. That is good to know. Now we get to the big part cost and availability all the shoes in uh, a multitude of varieties were all sold out oh. and uh, that's something that i'm hope hoping they're going to be replenishing because some people might decide that I, I have shoes that i like i like the way they fit i don't want to change them and so they wouldn't want to replace the insole with anything else the option is going to be about 50 dollars more expensive for that it's about i believe a 200 dollars option at the moment while they're sold out there are no prices available for the shoe. Uh -huh. But I believe, I believe it was about $199 for the shoes with the, with the pods. And then the insoles were 149 to $159. I think it's $159 for the insoles. When I purchased them, they had two different styles of pods that you could select. The pods had a, a, an essential model, which was the base model, and a premium model. 
I haven't been able to find a premium model listed again. So it may be that um, they're producing more of them. It may be that they've decided only to go with that base model. I think the option for the premium had something to do with a little bit of additional information from um, the fitness standpoint, as well as uh, a little bit more capability. But the app itself is what would provide access to that capability. And I haven't seen a difference yet on the app for anyone who might have the premium compared to the essential pod. Oh, wow. So you can actually track fitness through these as well. So they're going to be useful in essence for a lot of different people, exactly. not just and, blind and visually impaired people. Which is one of the points I was going to get to was that this is not necessarily marketed only to people who are traveling non-visually. This being marketed to the full gamut of uh, purchasers around the world. It's ideally being marketed toward those that are visual travelers for those that want to be very involved in activities like uh, fitness activities where, like a bicyclist, it would be difficult to be working with your smartphone to get directions on where to go along your route. And as a guide dog traveler or a cane traveler, you can certainly understand having only one hand available, which might you might have one hand on the harness, one hand on a purse, or carrying a grocery bag. Now, now your hands are occupied. So uh, whether it's a, a runner, a bicyclist, someone who just wants to keep track of how far they've traveled in a day, it's going to be monitoring that activity as well. Oh, that's awesome. If people want to learn more about this product, can you give us the website? The website itself is lechal, L-E-C-H-A-L dot com. And from the Lachel website, the uh, tabs at the top, so to speak, are information about the shoes, insoles, the technology itself, the features, and, and then the store there's also some adif- additional information about accessibility specifically, which gets into how that haptic information is going to be relayed, how turn-by-turn navigation uh, can happen. This particular product is also has a, a philanthropic component because for every purchase that's made, uh, funding is made available for another individual somewhere in the world, and I don't know the statistics on the number of individuals in India with blindness and visual impairment, um, but I believe that something is being provided to them as well. And I don't know that it's necessarily just in India, but there are many people in other countries who may not have the wherewithal that we do in the United States with either through our own resources, through uh, insurance companies, departments of rehabilitation to be able to access different products for accessibility. Wow, that is impressive. I've seen several of these projects with that particular philanthropic aspect to them, and I think that's wonderful. And I'm, I'm, I personally am more inclined to buy a product that has that kind of aspect to it if it's helping other blind people and uh, because conditions around the world are very, very different for blind folks. So, wow. I, and, and, and I forget often how lucky we are yes. here in this country. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is a really good price. Now, how do they, because I assume they come from India, how does that process work? Because I, I think you had some interesting times getting yours. Well, I did, and, and I'm hoping that that will improve, at least on the first shipment. Uh, it was a little bit of a saga, uh, and it made me laugh um, to be watching all the different holds that it had. I, I had hoped to receive them in a little bit quicker fashion because I was hoping to share them with certain groups who I would be presenting to and things. Um, 
but it had probably, we'll say, at least a week, week and a half worth of holds in India itself in two different cities. Then it went on to Germany where it had additional holds. Finally, coming over to the United States, it moved relatively quickly. There are so many new things that we have in the world. Unfortunately, there are things that we're exposed to, dangers, that we have to be safe. But there are things like the lithium batteries that are wonderful for their capacity to hold a charge, but they can also present certain dangers. And so uh, I think that they now have a system in place to make that shipping a little more efficient and so that hopefully it wouldn't take two weeks or longer to get that product from overseas to where we are in the United States. But I wouldn't want anyone to expect that it would be overnight shipping. Mm-hmm. Very intrigued yes, with this product. Have you tested it with any blind folks yet, and what was their impression? I have not tested it with any uh, of the, the clients or students that I work with. All I've been doing is going and showing people. What I think surprises people often is when that pod is in your hand and you feel it vibrate, it's rather, I'm, I'm going to use the word shocking, although you're not getting a shock. <laughs> it's rather surprising. I guess it's a little bit um, if uh, most of us are now used to the feeling of a smartphone on a, a silent feature where we're getting a vibratory alert of some kind, or if you've been to a vibrotactile uh, accessible pedestrian signal, you understand that vibration. It's a little bit like that, but in the palm of your hand. Yeah. So it can be very surprising. We're also not used to having that type of vibration on the sole of our foot. Yes. So <laughs> I think initially it's, it's the surprise factor. But it's not uncomfortable. It's not annoying. Everybody has different sensitivities and different thresholds to sensory input. But as far as I can tell, it feels comfortable. Within the app, another nice feature is that you are able to adjust the intensity. So, uh, you know, some people can can tolerate the vibration of uh, a, a motorized toothbrush. For other people, that type of sensation could cause them great discomfort (laughs) just because of the vibration. That's something that you're able to adjust within the settings of the app itself, which is a a very nice feature. The Apple Watch has that as well, where you can adjust how much response you're getting, but that the developers were able to be sensitive to that, I think is uh, important. Oh, fantastic, because one word comes to mind, ticklish. (laughs) Oh, yes, (laughs) Uh (laughs) which is... Which is the thing that you might want to consider if you are very sensitive, although I, I don't know that this would produce the tickle response, the option of purchasing it with a shoe that has kind of the, I'm going to say pocket, although it's more of a slide-in clip at the ankle position, might be something that you might find less um, arousing to the sensitivity at the base of your, at the uh, arch of your foot. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I think my husband would kill me if I bought one more pair of shoes, so... <laughs> Oh, I, get it. I understand. I understand. <laughs> However, this is very intriguing that it's going to go in a lot of different shoes with the uh, with the insoles. Jason, do you have any questions? Can you give an example of one of the patterns? Is it like just a like a tap tap tap, or is it more like a buzz sensation? Well, there are different ways that it does this, and uh, and uh, this is unique in that I, I only have will say one phone that I carry with me. So whenever it vibrates, it doesn't matter where it is. It means the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I only have one, um, though I feel very fortunate to have it, Apple Watch. So when it vibrates, it only means one thing, whether I'm wearing it on my right wrist or my left wrist. This is unique because you'll be getting information from your right foot or your left foot. So that in and of itself, even if it buzzed 
or vibrated just a small burst would give you some information about which way your foot's supposed to be heading next. Mm -hmm. And it's almost intuitive with that vibration going to your right foot that, oh, that means right. Left foot, that means left. If it gave a burst on both feet, that might mean you've arrived. So it's not telling you to turn. It's just giving you a, a information kind of like the melody that uh, another app might make when you arrive use, if you were using Blind Square or Google Maps or Apple Maps. It's letting you know you've reached your destination. You can have different types of vibration patterns that might, again, mean that slight turn or a steady, longer vibration, almost like Morse code, where you have a dot, dot, dash. Um, the longer dash would mean something different than the dot, dot pattern. Okay. And this is one that I have had trouble with with the Apple Watch, remembering which vibration pattern is for which type of turn. So I think having it on the correct foot to turn it, but that's fascinating to me. And, and there is the option, and I shouldn't say the option, when you begin to travel a route, it will ask you to confirm that the pods are in the correct feet to make sure that it's giving you correct information. So it will verify that the left's on the left and the right is on the right before you begin your route so that you don't have to figure that out halfway there going, oh my goodness, I've been making lefts where I should have been making rights. <laughs> um, so they, they've, they've put that in as a fail-safe at the beginning, which is wonderful. It's, it's a nice system. It just seems to, as many things that are happening today, come into just our regular thought process without having to relearn anything in a big sense. The uh, ability, again, to practice those vibration patterns is terrific. What I think is most important for people to remember is that this is not a magic solution, nor is any GPS program. It won't get you exactly where you want to go. It does not replace your brain. It won't get you exactly to the handle of the door at the pharmacy. You have to do the big picture of um, keeping track of the traffic, making sure that you're stepping up and down correctly into the right place. You still have to do that, we'll say, the last 50 feet, as, as Mike May puts it. Um, mm -hmm. Those are things that are still required of your basic orientation mobility skills. So if, for instance, you forgot which was a slight left and a, and a full left, you could, if you're working with your dog or if you're working with your cane, you're still going to have that additional input to be able to complete. So it isn't meant to replace all those things. It's meant to be a complement to them. Excellent advice. And we want to thank you, Chris, for being with us today. How can people reach you if they would like to learn more about you and read your review? There's lots of different ways. Um, you, you can either uh, um, uh, visit, I have a, just for uh, fun and posting, I have a, a blog, sensorytravel.com. And from sensory travel. Com. There's a, a place where you can click on it for the blog, and it will take you to the blog post. The uh, other place people can find me is the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And uh, you can just go to the TSBVI website, uh, which is tsbvi.edu, and look under Outreach. And uh, you should find me there under Orientation and Mobility. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, and we will keep tabs, uh, no pun intended, or maybe pun intended, on this particular piece of uh, hardware and software. And uh, Janine's credit card is itching right now because these things sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> they just sound just infinitely interesting to me. And at that price, let's see, it's either that or the Apple TV fourth generation. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
great. Well, thank you so much, Chris. That that this has been a just a fantastic interview. Well, yes, thank you thank for you. letting me join you both today. Thank you, Janine. Thank you, Jason. And I hope you both You're have welcome. wonderful days. Main Menu airs every Friday beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern, repeating every four hours until 5 p.m. Eastern, Saturday. You can also grab it as a podcast or call 605-475-8130 at airtime. Send us feedback by emailing mainmenu at acbradio.org. Find us on Twitter at Main Menu. See you next week.